back on my show is the profound wisdom teacher, Tracy Stanley. Tracy is gifted in weaving devotion and practice into daily life. Her latest book, The Luminous Self, Sacred Yogic Practices and Rituals to Remember Who You Are, guides the reader on a journey of inner exploration. There is so much yumminess in this book. I mean, it's super radiant. Just look at the cover. It's glowing. Inside this amazing book, Tracy offers meditations and rituals to self-inquiry practices that are all designed to tap into a deeper understanding of yourself. All the practices and tools in this book have been experienced by Tracy and helped her reclaim her own inherent power and wisdom, and they can do the same for you. For a limited time, listeners can take 30% off this book when you pre-order at Shambhala.com with the code LUM30, that's LUM30. And when you purchase the book, you can sign up for a free special live event with Tracy called the Luminous Self Book Club. Practicing with Tracy is a not-to-be-missed opportunity to amplify the transformative tools in this book. This is a four-week live virtual experience beginning on Tuesday, October 10th. You can find out more about this not-to-be-missed experience in this episode. I have also signed up for it. So don't forget to head over to theconsciousdiva.com for all the info on the show notes page, including the discount code and instructions on how to access this beautiful practice. You can also listen to my previous interview with Tracy about her best-selling book, Radiant Rest. It is episode number 23. You can find me at tatianawright.com. Give me a shout out, write a review and follow me on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, I love it. I love the way it looks. And when I opened it out of the, the pack, so it came last week and I was like, quick, I need to get a copy of the book. Um, <laughs> because, you know, I really do read the books. Um, yes. And I really appreciate that. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> I'm so excited that you have the first, I'm getting to see it in your hands. And I don't even have mine yet. It's so lovely. And it's so shiny. Oh, I like yeah, the light can like reflect and pick it up well. Well, when it uh, arrived and I opened it up, uh, my husband was like, oh my God, look at the cover of this book. And uh, he's like, oh, it's amazing. It's so great. I love it. I can't wait to have it in my hands. I'm going to go to the post office after we chat and hope that it's there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's begin. Let's begin. Thank <laughs> you so, so much for coming back on and talking about your second book, The Luminous Self. I'm so excited. I, I loved all, I know it says sacred yogic practices and rituals to remember who you are, but there's so much more than that. I mean, this book is, it's about remembrance. And I love that you have included the statement from Indu Aurora, who's such a great teacher herself. And, amazing teacher yeah oh, such a beautiful teacher and I'm just going to read that because I think that statement is so important for people to hear as we go into this interview which is yoga is not a feel-good practice <laughs> it is a face the truth practice so I just wanted to open it up with explain what this is as you talk about what it means to connect to our luminous self you know it's such a beautiful thought right this feeling that comes when you hear the idea of, oh, I can connect to my luminous self. There's part of me that's luminous. And yet it's such a deep journey that I think for a lot of us, and I can speak mostly for myself, that it was really easier to look at what was not true about who I was and to 
let go of the pieces that were not in alignment with my dharma, that were not in alignment with who I felt I was, who I remembered that I was from way back as a little girl. And to let those pieces go to kind of allow a revealing to happen, as opposed to thinking that it was a journey that I could just get to right away by saying, oh, I want to remember my luminous self. It's like, let me remember first who I'm not. With that statement that yoga, you know, it, it's just to remind us, right? It, it's this remembering, face the truth practice. And I think a lot of people don't get that. And, and I think that's where spiritual bypassing comes from. Yoga makes us feel so good <laughs> that we can forget about facing our truth. And where is this discomfort? When I was introduced to Western yoga, it was all about working out, looking good, feeling good. You know, you're going to feel great after the practice. And that is true. You do feel great a lot of times after the practice. But there's also sometimes in the practice where there's something that arises that feels like a block or an obstacle or a thought that you are having consistently that you weren't aware of or a feeling that you are that you're having and we can use quote unquote yoga to bypass over that and just you know be all positive vibes love and light but that's not the essence, that's not what's really there. And I didn't know that as a practitioner until I picked up my first translation of the Yoga Sutras. And once I started to read a little bit about the Yoga Sutras, that's when my yogic path took a turn because I realized that, oh, the yoga that I'm practicing right now, the teachers that I'm practicing with, they're not talking about this promise of yoga. They're not talking about the eight limbs. They're not talking about the yamas and the niyamas. So something's missing here. And I want to learn what it is that's missing. And then of course, when you start diving into these deeper philosophies, what comes up is the discomfort, which is also a symbol to me of truth arising. Like there's some truth that's coming forward that's not in alignment with how you see the world or how you're living. And it is there to make you look at it and to make you pause. I'd love for you to just talk about some of the practices. I mean, I, I literally went through and made, you know, so many notes and without giving away <laughs> the whole book, I did highlight a few that I'd love to talk to you about. But firstly, you know, these are life-changing practices and you've got everything in here from shaking it out to tantric contemplations to breath work and mind mapping. So I'd love for you to quickly explain the differences between a practice, self-inquiry and rituals because these can all be considered self-care practices, but yet they're not. Yeah, I mean, and it's interesting because, you know, a ritual is any action that we do with intention, with devotion, habitually, consistently, with reverence, right? So we could say that our, if we approach our practice with devotion and reverence, that it an intention that it is a ritual. If we approach our self-inquiry in that same way, it's a ritual. And yet we can also say that the things that we do habitually and consistently without any intention, 
like scrolling first thing in the morning on Instagram or whatever it is that we do without really thinking about it is an unconscious ritual, right? So I think this idea of ritual asks us to really look at how are we living in the day to day? How are we living in the moment? How are we in moving through life with intention? Mm. So that would be the first thing that I would say. You know, I'm offering practices that I have done myself and have really lived with and felt like I've embodied them to some degree to be able to teach them and hold space for others while they have been living with these practices. So these are all practices that I've shared. And these practices to me are more than just a practice. It's more than just, oh, let's open the book and do this practice. I'm really calling people in to practice a sadhana, right? To come back into that devoted practice, that consistent practice, which we can say is a sadhana. We can say it's a ritual. And at the same time with self-inquiry, my hope is that these questions that I ask help people to at some point become their own self-inquiry generator, right? I know that for me, when I started the practice of self-inquiry, after a while, I started to hear the questions that I needed to ask myself. And you and you talk about that throughout the whole book, the tuning in, you've actually you with mind mapping, particularly uh, the questions that you ask there. I'd actually never done a mind mapping practice. So I might just have you explain what that is mind mapping. And I know that's not the first practice that that you do in the book. It's about halfway through, but I actually, I, when I looked at that chart, that diagram and followed in that chapter, I was like, oh my gosh, wow. Like, so I wrote in the book around in the ovals and I I loved it. And I, I just did it because I've only had the book for a week. So I just started doing it. So I'm going to do as you recommend. So I mm-hmm. thought I'll see to the end of the year, see what shifts. And and it was interesting that this, that that was in your book because, you know, I, I, I love to read the books that I'm sent for guests that are coming on or authors. And I, I believe that you can always learn more. Like we can always learn more and continue to yeah. do our work and expand ourselves. And with each person, there's always some, some fresh takeaway for me. And so with this book, your book, it was the mind mapping. And, and, and I really enjoyed it because there was, I have been actually struggling with procrastination myself. That's the thing that's right. with me my whole life, like literally my whole life. And and I, you know, I know how to kind of cheat that. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> when I was a television producer, I would be like, I'd procrastinate for like weeks and weeks in the pre-pro. And then when it, like the two weeks gearing up right before, I'd be like, oh. suddenly I'd get into action and be like, all right, here's what, I, you know, my brain, something would just click on in my brain. So I'm I'm going to use this as a, as a practice, an opportunity to really like crack that seriously. <laughs> I love that you I love that you're saying that because I can definitely relate uh to procrastination. Same thing when I was producing, it would be like, okay, 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 okay. <laughs> and at some point I was able to trace that back. So mind mapping is a practice that I was introduced to by a woman named Isabel de Soleil, who was an assistant for one of my first teachers, my first tantric teachers. And she introduced this practice to us. And then that teacher actually wound up using a similar method in one of his books. But it's also known as radiant thinking, right? It's this idea of taking a core theme 
right? And in the prior chapter, we explore this idea of impermanence, right? And so we do a practice around impermanence and you will come up with something that's really important to you in life that is thematic for you. And that becomes your core theme. And then from there, we kind of reach out to these other places to allow us to say, okay, this theme is so important to me that I want to infuse it in every part of my life. Mm -hmm. So if I have goals, are these goals in line with this theme, right? Yeah. Are they in line with the theme? What are the obstacles that come up around this? Because we all have the obstacles. You just said procrastination. So I've got this goal. I have something I want to do, but procrastination. Can I create an auspicious action that's an antidote for that procrastination? Can I practice self-devotion every day? Because that brings us into this worthiness that we, by the fact that we are here on this earth and that we are breathing, we are worthy. And a lot of times when we think about this idea of self-devotion, it feels selfish. Mm-hmm. And it's self-devotion is different than self-care in my estimation. Mm-hmm. So there's a bubble in the mind map for how are you practicing self-devotion today? How are you offering to your community today? Because this is not a path that is individualistic, even though we're so focused on hyper-individualism, it all means that we're connected and we have to remember that connection and how we can offer the gifts of our practices and the things that we learn to to our community. And at the same time, um, we really want to be able to look at this, not in a linear way, but in a way that is in flow. And so what I love about the mind map is that A lot of times when we have, let's say, a to-do list, it feels like, oh, I've got to do this thing today, and it feels like too much. And when it feels like too much, it's like, okay, it's so easy to procrastinate and put it off to the next day. But if we can just find one action that helps to unwind a little bit of the obstacle, and we can find another small thing that we can do that's auspicious and in alignment with that core principle, before you know it, after the 30, the 90 days, you've moved so much closer in such a way that is in flow mm-hmm. as a, and it feels much more effortless and it feels fun to do the mind map every day for five minutes and then to have it sit on your desk, which is what I love to do is I keep it on my desk. And as I'm working or as I'm walking through the house, I glance at it and I remember, oh, okay. I need to practice my yoga nidra. You know, I need to take a walk out in nature. I need to do this other thing, whatever it is. Yeah. I love that. And it, you know, I, I'm gonna, I opened up the page to to the bubble and and I, I I'd love to share with you what I wrote in here. Oh yes. What page are you on? Well, page 94. Okay. Yeah. So, and actually I stuck a little, I, I made an asterisk on the post-it on the page. So I, I could always like immediately come back to it, but I, I wrote, it. and you know, I'm actually writing, working on a book right now. So I had my book in there as my to do my do word. And then 
the auspicious goal was align myself for the greater good of all the you know the whisper I whispers of the soul always I'm always in community with my, yeah. my guides yeah. or you know uh and and I love that question in there too because I was like oh yeah I can totally write like write down <laughs> hundreds of moments from 10 years ago or whatever perfect <laughs> I love life, that actually. I love that <laughs> uh but and then the daily self-devotion meditation it's so easy even though I I have a practice and established practice it's so easy for me to just go oh something else something else mm -hmm. and do it mm -hmm. later on um so then I wrote down my auspicious action yoga or then also going outside and I did this yesterday actually I was like mm -hmm. I need to just step outside uh and and walk around and be in nature and just kind of and I actually went outside barefoot I was like I really need to just mm -hmm. earth underneath me and just reconnect mm -hmm. and that was really great to come back and do that and obviously obstacles and, and resistances procrastination uh and then for community care I put my practices and donating and I, I loved that because I'm, mm. I'm actually recording practices now that are about to go out on on an, on an app another uh, the Hay House Empower You app actually so Beautiful. so thank you so I was going to put it in a journal and just leave the page open you know and I was going to yes. tomorrow morning yeah. write it out drawing start my own. a whole new journal with your with your mind map it's yeah it's really a special uh it's a special practice yeah I, that I was introduced to it Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that. And you've got some really great, uh, not just the descriptions of each bubble, but how to tune in if if um, maybe someone is not uh, such an advanced practitioner or is just beginning. And, and actually, I found that consistently throughout your whole book. Nobody really needs to know anything about Tantra. <laughs> or That's right. The practices and, you know, the neti neti practice, for, for example. I mean, this is a great bhavana. Right. And <laughs> it's from the Vijnana Bhairava, but no one needs yeah. to know that, you know, right. what any of that means, because it, it's such a, a wonderful practice. And so just it can, talk about neti neti. What does this mean? And how, oh, neti, why neti. is it so expansive? You know, I love this question because um, the people that I know who have read the book already, they all are asking about the neti neti practice. And they're asking about the neti neti practice because most people have done, if you've been practicing for a long time, at some point you were introduced to this neti neti practice. <laughs> and I remember the very first time that I practiced this neti neti and it was in Shavasana at the end of a yoga class. And it blew my mind because I felt all of a sudden expansive I became aware that at least what it seemed like in the moment was that I was not breathing, <laughs> oh. right? And that I had was suspended in time and space and it felt so blissful and so incredible. And so this neti neti is translated a couple of different ways. Um, when I first learned it, it was translated to me as not this, not that. And then later I got another translation, which was not this, not this. And then a friend recently told me that when she practiced it, someone gave her the translation of not me, not mine, which I oh. thought was also very interesting. I had never heard that before. Mm, me too. Wow. And so it's this practice really of negating everything to come to the truth because there's so much in the in the mind there's so much in the personality there's so much in our field of awareness and so the the practice of how i received it of neti neti 
was basically either lying down or closing your eyes and just becoming aware first of the breath and then just noticing what comes into your field of awareness. And each time there's a color, there's a shape, there's a thought, there's a sound, you just silently repeat to yourself, neti neti, knowing that it means not this, not this, and feel it dissolve. And then you just keep going and you can do this for three minutes or you could do it for 30 minutes. And to me, the practice is just sublime. I love that you've got practices included on the Shambhala website. It's shambhala.com, right? Forward slash luminous self practices. Mm -hmm. So it's wonderful that you've got a bunch included there. So I listened to that one this morning and, and it was such a great reminder. And it was interesting as I was listening to you, I was reminded of uh, an incident the very first time I went to India and I was going for a shoot actually. So I had landed in Mumbai. We'd flown out of Newark with the crew and you know, you how mm -hmm. an production we had, we'd had our carne, we had all of our gear, we had all the production equipment, you know, multiple hard, you know, Pelican cases and all this stuff. And we had allegedly paid for um, all of the overweight luggage um, going through to our final destination in India. So we're in Mumbai, we land. We were support, we were flying to Bangalore and, uh, and, you know, in India, and it was my first time and I'd never seen anyone actually in real life saying neti neti, neti neti, mm. you know, so, mm. and, and it was such a great reminder this morning that we can use this practice in everyday circumstances. It doesn't just have to be in meditation. And in the moment when I was reminded, it brought laughter. It really, it made my yeah. heart really soft and, and giggle mm -hmm. because I remember this, this woman that we had to deal with at the flight desk who was like, no, you need to pay. Like you need to pay again, like hundreds and hundreds right. of dollars, like for overweight, like you need to pay again. Right. And, and, and my DP was like, oh, like for, and I was the producer. So he, really he wasn't paying for it, but he was bitching and moaning and so upset and being very New York about it, you know? And she is just neti, 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 like, this is the way yes. it is like this yes. is the way it is and just yes. like in that moment I was like huh wow mm -hmm. doesn't matter what we say shit like these are the facts we have to pay again there's no point arguing getting upset bringing a struggle forward or being annoyed I'm not paying for it ultimately you know it's it's going on the production budget but still obviously you don't want to have to incur you know right. additional fees on the budget right but I was like there's no point. I just need to let this go. And and so mm -hmm. it was such a nice reminder to see that in action with a real person. Yes. With that a real person. There's, yeah. yeah, there's no need to be arguing with her. She's not going to budge. So why bother? You know, and so this morning I was, it made me laugh because I was like, yeah, I'd so forgotten that because we just, uh, this is a great practice just to do in, in moments when you might be experiencing a lot of other things and you just want it to kind of dissolve into the softness of just being able to kind of just deal. It's neither this nor that, That's as you right. said, not this, not that, it just is. Mm -hmm. So be it, like yeah. move, move beyond that. So, you know. I love that story. I love that story. <laughs> Such a, a beautiful reminder of how we can weave because it's a weaving, mm. right? And it's a T and that, that woman was a teacher in that moment. Yeah, yeah. it's beautiful.
Yeah, she sure was. Yeah, it, it was really funny. And I had only recently learned that practice too. And so uh, to see it in action was in, in the real world outside of doing it by myself or, or being guided um, was really, was really cool. Actually, it was like, oh, wow. <laughs> I didn't expect that. Um, so you have got uh, so many, you know, you've got the digital amnesia. I mean, I think this is a really important point uh, that when I was reading that, I thought this is amazing. So could you expand on digital amnesia and, and what V-Yoga is? Yeah. So, you know, digital amnesia is kind of this phenomenon that happens when we basically outsource our memory to our phones or our devices, right? We outsource, I mean, if we, I don't know how old you are, but I'm definitely old enough to remember that I used to be able to remember everybody's phone number by heart. Oh yeah. I, so didn't, I didn't even have like a little book. I knew everybody's phone number, knew how to get places. Now we outsource our, our knowing. I'm almost 50 by the way. So yes, I remember. <laughs> <laughs> You know, you, <laughs> <laughs> there used to be, you know, this uh, where we, if we needed to go somewhere, we would look at the map or we would look at Google, you know, the, what was it called? MapQuest back map in the quest. day. You print out and, the maps. And, oh, and, every and, car came with, and every rental car came with like a, a Michelin guide book if you were overseas and you got the maps and you literally had to sit there and, and plot out your way and figure out how to, how to get to your destination. <laughs> exactly. And then you would remember how to get back to that destination because you looked at the map, you figured it out, you knew how to get from one place to the next place. And so what's happening is we're outsourcing our memories in these little ways that are having big impacts on our memory, right? And what I can kind of connect this to is this idea that yoga brings us to this place of smarana. It brings us to this place that is a practice really of the root word of smarana is smirti, which means memory and retention, right? And it's really the memory, the remembrance of the self is where we're going, right? So this idea of V yoga is really when you kind of separate yourself away from something in order to remember the source of something else. And so there's a, a number of practices in the book that I have done myself and you know all these practices and in a way it's really interesting because I felt like if I could leave a time capsule of practices that people could use to become free these are the practices that I would put in the time capsule I don't even know my son's cell phone number which is I know my husband's cell phone number because when mm -hmm. we got cell phones years ago I was still memorizing his number but I don't, I don't even know my son's or my daughter's cell phone numbers. And, and I keep saying to myself, I've got to memorize them. I've got to memorize them. And it's just so easy to just press a button and call somebody. And I'm often like, oh my God, what if, what if I don't have a phone on me and I need to ring them or something's happened? I don't know their numbers. So it, it really, it's so important. And we've lost, totally lost this vital skill. I think I can still recall phone numbers from my friends, my school friends from when I was a, like a teenager and calling mm -hmm. my friends on a push button phone. I don't mm -hmm. want to dial a rotary phone, you know? Um, right. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So so this so talk about now what is what's the practice of V yoga? 
So the practice of V yoga is creating the separation. And what I love, the one of the V yoga practices that I really love is because you talked about this question of who am I, yeah. right? We have so much that we could answer that question. Who am I? All the things that I do, all the places that I live, all the activities that I do. But if we separate ourselves for a moment and ask this question, who am I not? Mm then we really start to get somewhere. And so this practice was a practice that I was introduced to many, many years ago, read about it in different texts, this idea of who am I not? And I found that it was, again, one of those other practices like Neti Neti, that because there was this negation, there was this separation, that it created the expansion. And so I have a practice in the book that you can do basically looking at yourself in the mirror, recording yourself, answering the question, who am I not and who am I? And then listening back to it and making notes about what is it that you heard? What is it that you felt? And what is it that you learned from listening to your own answers? And this is something that you can just continue to do over and over for any time, really, any amount of time, yeah. until you get to the, the essence of something. Yeah, and what's amazing about this practice too is in initially you can hear like the struggle or the hesitation almost, like the, the, the or the doubt, like the sort of questioning, and then over time it elevates as you become closer to that that truth that that true aspect of yourself so it's it can also be a, a hard practice for many people to do initially because people aren't used to looking in the mirror and confronting themselves it, it it is it's not you know it's not an easy practice to do because you, and, and I think it's one that we all need to do because we all need to be able to really see what's behind the veils what's behind the masks What's behind the shields that we put up? When I work with clients, I with my clients uh, as a transformational coach, I give a variation of this practice, and and I always say just allow allow what needs to come. If you are experiencing a struggle, or you feel like you're going to cry, just let those emotions come up, because mm -hmm. eventually you'll reach a point where you're laughing. And you're enjoying yeah. this because the true your true self has come out and you actually are connecting with the aspect of yourself. I always say, think of it as your higher self speaking to you, not mm -hmm. you as your reflection in the mirror, but something yeah. greater than yourself to help drop into that space. Yeah, that's beautiful. So you've also got this great description of the practice of awe. And what I the other thing I really loved about your book mm -hmm. is that it's not just tantric practices. You've incorporated uh, these, like the practice of all, which, which is such a simple thing for people to do, but yet something that I think not many people do. We've just so lost touch with this. So mm -hmm. explain what is the practice of all? And I love your story about Table Mountain. Oh, <laughs> you know, one of the things that I think is missing from, and you just spoke to it, um, is the fact that we don't pause enough. We don't stop enough to take in our environment, right? To be in gratitude. And I think when we start to lose these experiences of joy and our connection to joy, 
and our connection to awe. We're too busy, again, with the digital amnesia, we're too busy when we see the beautiful triple rainbow, and I'm no different. The first thing that happens is people whip out their phones. <laughs> they don't stand there for a moment to take it in and think about, wow, what a miracle this is, a triple rainbow. And I'm saying triple rainbow because I just saw a triple rainbow a couple of weeks ago, and it was the first time I had ever seen a triple rainbow. Mm. And it was really interesting because the first person who noticed it was my friend's son, who's a teenager. And he came back with such childlike, even though he's like a you know teenager getting ready to graduate, like super cool. He came back with this absolute awe. Oh my God, there's a triple rainbow. And mm. everybody in the restaurant went out to look at this triple mm. rainbow and we were all in awe. And so if we can just think about like, maybe like I'm feeling that feeling of the awe in my body, it's still alive in my cells. So if people listening can just think about, feel into, remember the last time that they felt this sense of awe, where were they? What were they doing? It, it brings something back to us that I think is an inherent part of who we are which is this sense of wonder, this sense of grace, this reminder that beauty is all around us. And so that's why I included that practice in the book because I felt like we need to remember the awe. It's a miracle that we're here. It's a miracle that we're breathing. You know, when I was reading that section, um... Three very distinct memories came. First, firstly, well, I, I'm also to South Africa, so I, I have witnessed that incredible or amazing image, right, of the clouds cascading over Table Mountain where they just roll over in the, this, they spill down the side of the mountain like a white tablecloth, and it and it's so beautiful to witness. And this was before smartphones or, or camera phone, cameras even in our phones, uh, it was over 20 years ago and it was it was really wild because it's not every day it's almost every day right that the clouds spill over and, it, yeah. and even for the locals it never gets old it's really no. this beautiful no. thing that everyone you notice people stop and take that in and then when you go up mm -hmm. there on the top of the mountain to witness and be up in it as the clouds are shifting and changing and and the temperature drops drastically and to feel all of that and to be in a cloud, it's it, it was a wild moment. And I thought to myself, I'm so glad that I actually didn't have phones on me, on myself or the phones that are to, today's phones didn't exist because maybe I would have missed that entire experience from just snapping, mm -hmm. taking photos of the view from the top of Table Mountain, looking back. Yeah. So thank you for naming that because I can definitely say, you know, it was over, 30 years ago where I had that, um, what I talk about in the book as a moment of spontaneous meditation without having a practice, without knowing anything, I was watching the tablecloth on Table Mountain. If that had been today, it's very likely that moment would have been missed because yeah. there was no distraction. There was nothing taking my awareness away from what I had my one pointed focus on was yeah. the tablecloth and the movement of the clouds on the mountain and that one pointed focus 
became emerging and moved into meditation. I didn't have those words then, didn't know what was happening then. And honestly, in this moment, I'm just also putting together the sequence of how it all unfolded. It's like a, a a feeling of majesty that overcomes you and you merge with this experience, with this natural occurrence that it's like, wow. It, so it was really expansive for me as well. I was really like, mm-hmm. Wow, this is um this is amazing to to be witnessing. And and like I said, you can just tell that that the residents there feel the same way, even though they get to see it almost every day. It's like never gets old for them. And I love that you've got the cosmic egg in here. So I'd love for you to talk about the cosmic egg. I one of my favorite Sanskrit words is actually Haranyabhaga because I just think uh, it's so amazing. And it's like, yeah, you know, this I the concept of that is so cool, you know. I love that you love that. Yeah. You know, it's said that Hiranyagarbha, the cosmic egg, the golden egg, the cosmic womb, there's so many different translations, is the first teacher of yoga. And so that to me, it's like, there's not much more I can add (laughs) (laughs) to that. But that there, there is this place within us that is connected to this first teacher. Right. And it's like when we get still enough and we're in awe or we're in deep practice or we're in pause or we're resting, we get to touch into this luminosity. And it, it's such a beautiful space for us to know exists within us. Yeah. You know, we can also think about this idea of Sutra 136 that talks about this luminosity that's also within us that is eternal. And that sutra, sutra 136. And I, I recommend that anybody who's interested just find their translation. Uh, hopefully you have one or you can Google the translation of Yoga Sutra 136 and find a few of them because there are so many different ways that this has been translated. My whole yoga journey, I said it before about the yoga sutras. It was this one particular yoga sutra that shifted my entire trajectory. Mm-hmm. To know that there's a place inside of me that is beyond all sorrow, that means that there's a stripping away that has to happen. And then at some point you find that luminosity and you may find yourself inside of the golden egg, inside of that deep beauty, inside of that teacher, inside of that, that light that is protective and guiding and nurturing at the same time. I love that also you begin with your book and you close your book with the the analogy of your very real ritual with the egg, the actual physical egg. But mm-hmm. um, when you end with the, one of the last practices is, is to do, to get in touch with your luminous self and the cosmic egg and to just explain a little more, you know, that's this ultimate place of creation, right? The place of the unmanifest, the place that we can just tap into so mm-hmm. much radiance and when I'm meditating on that, I believe that it's the place of like where we will return and the place where we come from. Mm, and, absolutely. And I mean, gosh, you've got like, you've got, I have so many things you've got, you know, the ancestor practice, connecting to our guides, you know, setting up the ancestor altar, so many beautiful things, you know, the elements, connecting to the elements and why that's important. Um, the jibber jabber practice. Would you like to talk to any of, of, 
those <laughs> points because there's so many wonderful practices in here and I I just love it I love your book I think this uh, is an awesome book yeah everyone should get it thank you thank you I appreciate that you know I really wanted to offer as I said before the practices that really helped me and I wanted to offer them in a trauma that I felt would be, and when we think about this idea of trauma, it it's, can be translated as a wise progression. So sequenced in a way that there's a, a revealing after each practice, there's a shedding after each practice, there's a knowing that comes to you after each practice. And so I think that if there's any practice that I I mean, there's there's a lot of practices in here and, and I want there to be a lot of practices. People always ask, look, wow, you share so many practices. It's like, yes, because we need them. Yeah. And maybe there's gonna be a practice that doesn't resonate with you, but there's gonna be one practice that resonates with you. And each one of these practices in my experience has been a portal to deeper knowing. The one practice that I really love and here is a practice that was shared with me by a teacher by the name of Charlie Morley, who's a lucid dreaming teacher, a former Buddhist monk. And it's a practice that asks you to contemplate on impermanence and the last moments of your life. And that practice will, I feel, and from what I have seen from people that I have worked with, it is a game changer. It will shift the trajectory of your life towards truth and towards what is in alignment for your soul in a way that nothing else has or can in such a short period of time, as long as you continue to follow up with remembering what you learned in the practice. That's the most important thing. Remembering, and I really feel like all of these practices are about remembering. The Jibba Jabba practice is amazing. I was, I did that practice with a friend of mine many years ago named Rod Mose. And this is just the practice of shaking, shaking and giving voice to all those thoughts and things and feelings in the sound of Jibba Jabba, right? And we, we a lot of times we do it as a group. And when you do it as a group and you hear everybody saying jibba jabba jibba jabba, it sounds like what the mind sounds like when it feels confused or when it just isn't clear. And it's a way to really kind of help the nervous system, right? Especially in times of stress, shaking, you know, we watch our dogs shake all the time. They shake it off, right? <laughs> it's like shaking is a is a really good way uh, for us to clear um and to reset so I love the shaking I do it all the time if any time during the day where I need to like transition and reset it's a beautiful practice but what I love and thank you for mentioning that uh Shambhala gave me the opportunity to <clears throat> record eight of the practices so I recorded eight of the practices and when you purchase the book you receive a link inside of the book that allows you to download these practices. And if you buy the book before October 10th, when it comes out, there's also a free book club. So the free book club is like a four week book club with me where we're taking deep dives into the philosophy and into the practices together as a community. Beautiful. And that's live with you? It's live. Yeah. It's live on Zoom. Oh, that's amazing. Right? That's super cool. 
I'm going to have yeah, to. Yeah, I'm excited for that. <laughs> I think that's invaluable, actually, especially for people who might possibly be new to any of these teachings, mm-hmm. just mm-hmm. to understand, right? It's an opportunity, I'm, I'm assuming, for people to ask you questions too. Like, how can I work with this in a in a deeper way? Or maybe something's come up and they're struggling. It's basically like a 40-day container where we're all doing a sadhana together. We're all doing sadhana together. So we're all kind of held in the container. We're all free to ask questions, to share experiences. I feel like that sometimes is missing with books. It's, It's just really nice to be able to hold people with the practices and for me to also learn. Because when we come into circle in these, you know, experiences everybody is a teacher so just by the sharing or asking questions it's a teaching so it's it's one of my favorite things to do oh thank you that's so that is so generous of you and really a a gift and will you be picking the practice or does everyone they get to pick their own practice from the book no we'll be going through so there's certain practices that i feel like need to be done together like there's some like the more if we want to say advanced practitioner might read some of these practices and be like, oh, I know how to do this practice because it's similar to something else that I've done. But I really want um, some of the practices on impermanence and some of the practices that needed reflection or to work in dyads that we do those together. So we'll go through the, the book and we'll be choosing most of the practices that are not recorded will be the ones that I'll be working with. Ah, okay. Yeah. So I, in, that one on impermanence really was intriguing to me. I have not done that practice before. And I, mm-hmm. as I was reading it, I was really like, wow, this is not, a, I thought to myself, okay, this is not a quick, I'm going to read through this. This actually is reflective and I need to yeah. air, like have a journal and actually rewrite the questions out and then mm-hmm. contemplate that and then see what comes up, what, what is, what's potentially triggering me about what's coming up. So I read mm-hmm. through it just like a, like I would a book, um, mm-hmm. but I have not uh, gone to sit there and, and do them yet, but that was something I planned to do. So yeah, awesome. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> to do it in a setting where you're kind of um, forced to really contemplate in a sense, because you're doing it with mm-hmm. other people. So yeah. Yeah. And you're being held in a, in a sacred space. Nice. Well, I love it. Well, is there anything else that you want to talk about why the ancestor practice is important? There's, there was a lot in this section. Mm. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, all of these practices really relate to the forgetting, right? It's like trying to bring us back from the forgetting. I think that we went through a portal during the pandemic, the early pandemic, where we became aware of our own mortality right? And it made us remember those who came before us. And I think a lot of people also became more connected to their ancestors because the veil was very thin. So these practices around our ancestors are a way for us to remember who we are, because our ancestors are part of who we are, even if we don't know their names, even if we don't know because we were adopted, right? Their epigenetics is flowing through us. Their DNA is flowing through us. The places they live, the foods they ate, the prayers they said for us, they're all part of us. So it's really important for me to be connected to ancestors and to kind of open this portal of just curiosity around who am I? 
Um, the same with dreams. A lot of times we just dismiss our dreams as, oh, the mind is just processing. You know, it's just a regurgitation of whatever happened during this week. But sometimes we have dreams that feel like they're more than just the mind processing. They feel like a message or they feel like something sacred has happened. And so I think it's really important also for us to remember our dreams, right? To have a different relationship with dreams as just something that gets forgotten about. So all of these, all of these portals in this book are ways into more remembrance of who we really are and allowing us to kind of be in the space of having the courage to release who we're not so we can really be more embodied in the true self. What a beautiful way to end. Love it. Thank you. So much wisdom in this book and so heartfelt. And you can really, when you read it, immediately from the very first page, I was like, oh, this is going to be a really profound book. It was written so beautifully and you have woven all the practices in really well and you can really experience that these were things you had gone through and that's why they were so meaningful to you to share with readers. So you've done an amazing job of making them super accessible. Thank you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. You're welcome. Thank you. (laughs) 